Good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. It is Friday, September 29th, 2017. As always, it's Mike Lyon with the Wicked Awesome Boston Sports Podcast, and we've got a packed show this morning. We've got a ton to talk about and not a ton of time to do it. So let's get right into it. The two things we want to talk about the most, we got to get into the Red Sox first. Let's, let's do the Red Sox, and then we'll do a full Patriots preview and uh, give a prediction on the game. But let's get the Red Sox done first. And normally you would say a 12-2 loss to the team that you're about to face in the playoffs would be a disaster of epic proportions because that's exactly what the Red Sox did last night. They lose 12-2 to the Houston Astros. But all is not, is, is not lost because the New York Yankees also lost last night to the Tampa Bay Rays by a final of 9-6. And that means the Red Sox magic number is down to one. They have a three-game lead with three games remaining. Any Red Sox win and any Red Sox or, or any, excuse me, any Yankees loss now gives the Red Sox the outright division title. The absolute worst that the Red Sox can do after the season is over, or after the, the after the season after the series is over this weekend, is tie the Yankees for the divisional lead. Uh, and quite frankly, I don't know what happens if they have to play a playoff game, or if the Yankees, if 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 they do tie, the Yankees might win the division because, or, or essentially win the division because they have a better record than the Red Sox do, or they have a better head-to-head record against the Red Sox this season. I don't know if that's the case or what, but in any event, the magic number is down to one. The Red Sox can put all of that math out the window with one win this weekend against the Astros in three games or one Yankees loss in three games to the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, although I tell you what, if you take last last night as an example, you don't feel too good about the Red Sox chances of shutting down this Houston offense. Uh, th- so the, for the fifth start in a row, I'm sorry, fourth start in a row, excuse me, not fifth. For the fourth start in a row, A Red Sox pitcher, a starting pitcher, gives up runs in the first inning. And for the fourth start in a row, a Red Sox starting pitcher gives up five earned runs. And to say that that's a bad trend going into the playoffs would be putting it mildly. Eduardo Rodriguez could not make it out of the second inning last night. An inning in two-thirds, he got absolutely rocked. Uh, Only He was pretty much lucky to only give up five runs. And then the bullpen came in and didn't do much better. Blaine Boyer gave him some good innings right after, uh, right after he, he came in in relief of of Rodriguez. Uh, but uh, the rest of the night was just as bad. The Red Sox got two runs back in their half of the second inning, and then Houston scored seven more unanswered runs. Final score twelve to two. It is the fifth game in a row, and I didn't realize this how hot Houston was coming in. I knew they were mashing the ball. I didn't know how badly it was. Fifth game in a row that Houston has scored 10 or more runs. Fifth game in a row. Uh, a heck of a streak, obviously. It tells you, I mean, you took one look at that Houston lineup last night, and you said to yourself, man, this team can mash it. They, they have hitters up and down this lineup. It's going to present a challenge. I didn't realize. I knew Houston was a good hitting team. I didn't know how good they were. Uh, I mean, you don't get a break up and down this entire lineup. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a difficult challenge, to say the least, for the Red Sox in the American League Divisional Series, especially if they pitch the way they, they have done this, this week uh, and the way they did last night. They, just, they will not have a chance in this series if that's how it goes. But, uh, you know, so Rodriguez get, can't get out of the second inning, takes the loss. 
it begs the question. I mean, you know, I, I've said it to you. I, I've said it a bunch. The, the strengths of this Red Sox team going into the playoffs are its bullpen first, and that's a big strength to have once you get into the playoffs. I realize that. Uh, it's a big strength to have a good bullpen. Their offense is usually pretty good. They got silenced last night by a good pitcher in Brad Peacock. Uh, unfortunately, they're going to face a bunch more good pitchers. They're probably going to face Peacock again next week. Um, you know, there's there's not much you can say. You're going to face good pitching in the playoffs. That's how it goes. But uh, if there is a weakness on this Red Sox team, it is very clearly the starting pitching rotation. And you got major question marks beyond the second spot in the rotation. You've got really some question marks anyway up and down the rotation now based on what we've seen this month so uh just another poor outing for a red sox starter again last night and yeah you'll have to see how it happens in terms of of how they're going to start the rotation in the playoffs beyond one and two i mean sales still your number one he's been inconsistent over the past month you know he's had a great season overall Struck out a ton of batters. Take nothing away from him. His first season in Boston was a success. There's no question about it. But he's been inconsistent over the past month. He's been trading good starts and bad starts. Now, game one, if, if the pattern holds, game one will be a good start. Unfortunately, if the series got to a game five, game five would be a bad start. Uh, so, you know, you, you you don't know. But Sale is very clearly your number one. There's, you know, there, there's nothing to say about that. Drew Pomeranz is still your number two. I mean, the diminished velocity was a concern on Monday. He says it was all part of a plan to, to pick it up and, and go deeper into the game. Uh, you know, I don't know if you trust that or not. There, there, there's been some some thoughts that his velocity was dropping anyway, and he was getting tired. So you got a question mark there at number two, but he's clearly your number two starter. Beyond that, I think you just kind of pull a name out of a hat. I mean, I don't know who you can trust going into, you know, with with a game three start at this point. Eduardo Rodriguez, completely inconsistent. Rick Porcello, maddeningly inconsistent. All season long. Down year for him. Doug Fister, the only guy with a playoff win. He pitches tonight, by the way. A midseason pickup. A couple disastrous starts down the stretch after a fairly good stretch for the Red Sox in late August and early September. And, of course, as soon as I started talking about him, he started pitching poorly. But uh, if Fister pitches well tonight, I think you have to go with him in Game 3. I mean, I didn't think he, he – I, I did not think he was in the playoff rotation a week ago. But I just I, – I don't see how you can possibly give the ball to Rick Porcello in a Game 3, especially if your season is on the line against this lineup. I just I can't see how that how you can possibly do it. And after last night, I don't see how you can possibly give the ball to Eduardo Rodriguez in a game three with your season potentially on the line. Like I I, I don't know how you really give it to Doug Fister either, but if he pitches well tonight, then he to me is the best option out of the three of them. I mean he just is. I I, I don't feel great about that option. You know, I, I don't, but I don't know where else you're going to turn. The, the only other thing you could think of was was putting David Price back into the rotation, but and, and I've seen that, but he's not stretched out enough. I mean, he was shut down for a while. He's been groomed to come back into the bullpen. He's been a weapon out of the bullpen, and I, I don't think you can give David Price the start. And oh, by the way, everybody's forgetting David. You know, the, all this speculation. Well, you can move Price back into the rotation. <laughs> Price has been a terrible playoff pitcher. 
He's been a terrible pitcher in the playoffs. I, I hate to break that to you. The one season where he had success out of the out of the playoffs as a pitcher in the playoffs was when he was in the bullpen. That was in his first season in Tampa in 2008 when the Rays went to the World Series and beat the Red Sox in the American in the ALCS. That was the one season where he had success in the playoffs as a pitcher. And so spare me the talk about Price going in the, into the rotation. His arm isn't stretched out enough for it, and he hasn't been a good playoff starter. He could be a weapon for you out of the bullpen. He's been good down the stretch in the bullpen. You know, what the Red Sox could do in a Game 3 scenario is hopefully they've gotten a bunch of innings out of Sale and Pomeranz or, you know, haven't gone, needed to go to, to, to Price for, for, for a lot of work in Games 1 or 2 in the playoffs. You know, you could get a starter going in Game 3 and then pull him at the first sign of trouble and go with Price to go with multiple innings from there. That would be a you know that that could be a strategy that that Farrell uses and that Carl Willis use in the playoffs because God I, I don't know where you turn for a game three start right now if you're the Red Sox you know you just kind of have to hold your nose in games three and four and and close your eyes and hope it works out because it, it's it's just been a terrible stretch you know to say inconsistent at best and just awful stretch at worst for for these three, four, and five starters for the Red Sox. There's been a couple good Rodriguez starts in there. Porcello may have had a good one in there, but overall, it's just been awful down the stretch, and it's it's hard to think that this team is going to get it going come playoff time. If the schedule works itself out, maybe you get Sale to go on regular rest in Game 4, and maybe Pomeranz in Game 5, and, and in the Game 5 scenario, all bets are off, but... You know, you won't get to see that until the playoff schedule comes out, and it won't come out until this weekend is over. So for now, what are the Red Sox doing? They've got the second game of, of this series-ending streak against Houston. And oh, by the way, Houston played that game to win last night. You took one look at that Houston lineup, and they you, you realized they were going all the way with it. Nobody took a break. Nobody took a rest in that lineup. And, and they got out by enough runs where, you know, Peacock didn't have to throw a ton of pitches. Uh, he still started the game and won it, but A.J. Hinch played that game to win last night, and if it's any indication of how the series is going to go, he's going after that home field advantage. I don't know if he's going to get it. You know, I don't know if he's going to get it, but remember that his two best pitchers are now out of the way, and they're pretty much going to be on rest. They, they, they can, they, you know, he doesn't have to worry about his rotation is what I'm trying to say. Justin Verlander will be plenty rested. He was not scheduled to pitch in this series anyway. Brad Peacock pitched last night, not going to pitch for the rest of the series. He'll be rested for the ALDS. Uh, so their pitching is pretty much lined up the exact way they want it. Whoever's going to pitch game three will have plenty of rest as well because that game won't come for at least another week. So whoever's pitching game three for, for Houston will, will be perfectly lined up. The Red Sox would do well to win this game tonight and get their get their game one and two starters some 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 rest over the weekend. You don't want to pitch Chris Sale on Sunday. You don't really want to pitch Drew Pomeranz tomorrow. You don't want to pitch Chris Sale on Sunday. And if you lose the next two games of this series, I don't think the Red Sox are going to have a choice. And it will, if you lose the next two games of the series and the Yankees win their next two games against Toronto, and you're in a scenario where you've got to win on Sunday. Or, you know, you, the magic number still won. You got to win Sunday or got to hope the Yankees lose. I mean, I, I think Sale's going to have to pitch, unfortunately. 
and you know that that will mean he he's not going to be on regular rest to start game game one of the ALDS. But it would do the Red Sox very very well to clinch this thing tonight. And the one nice thing is if you believe in the Blue Jays and they've been pounding the ball lately, they could they're, they're a threat to the Yankees this weekend. The Blue Jays and the Yankees play a very rare afternoon game in Yankee Stadium today. That game's at 105. Uh, it doesn't happen very often that the Yankees play on Friday uh, in Yankee Stadium. But if the Yankees lose the game, the, C- the division race is over. The Red Sox are champs. So the Red Sox are in a strange scenario, I guess a favorable one, where they will know exactly where they stand and could have the division wrapped up by the time they take the field tonight. So, you know, maybe the division is over before tonight and, you know, the, the Red Sox can really start thinking about things. I think Doug Fister pitches the game tonight no matter what uh, because it's a playoff preview for him. It's, it's essentially an audition for the rotation because the rest of the rotation doesn't seem to want it very much. And uh, so I think he pitches the game no matter what. But if they get this thing locked up today, I don't see Pomeranz pitching tomorrow. I definitely don't see Sale pitching Sunday. Uh, so, you know, pay attention to the Yankees this afternoon. Not that you wouldn't otherwise, just to see if, if they lose this thing, the division is over, and it's the Red Sox to take. Uh, but, you know, that'll depend. That that will, I think, in large part, uh, give the Red Sox an idea of, of what they want to do this weekend, especially if they want to rest some guys. And then I think there's some guys, even in that lineup, that could really use a rest. So, uh, Yankees first, 105. Red Sox tonight, 705. It's Doug Fister for the Red Sox to face Charlie Morton, who's had a really nice bounce-back season for Houston. Uh, ERA's about 360. He's, he's a good pitcher coming off a really bad arm injury. So, had a nice bounce-back season for Houston. Uh, first pitch, 7.05, like I said, from Fenway. And uh, the rest of the weekend, is two more games against Houston, and that's the end of the regular season. So, we'll start talking playoffs on Monday. Uh, we'll, we'll have an idea, obviously, of, of where the division has shook out by then. And uh, we'll see what happens. So with the Red Sox out of the way, let's talk Pats. They go into their fourth their week four of the season against the two and one Carolina Panthers. Patriots coming into the game two and one themselves. The game starts at one o'clock. It is on Fox. It is basically the only Fox broadcast the Patriots are going to have all season. Joe Buck, Troy Aikman have the call. The Patriots are a nine point favorite in most of the books in Vegas. Uh, that seems a out right uh, based on, on what they've done and based on what the Panthers have done all season. You want to look at the Panthers. Uh, they, they come into the game 2-1, and one, like I said. They beat the 49ers, a team that most people thought was was, was going to be hapless this season. Put on a pretty good show against the Rams in Week 2, but uh, they beat them pretty solidly 23-3 in San Francisco Week 1. They then came home and played the Buffalo Bills, beat them in a defensive 9-3 battle. Uh, no one got any offense going in that game, but the Panthers came out victorious. Last week, they stayed home and got shellacked by the, 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 by the New Orleans Saints, uh, the same team that the Patriots had annihilated themselves in Week 2 on the road. Well, the Saints got up off the turf, went into Carolina, and just shellacked the Panthers by a final of 34-13, to and the game wasn't that close. Um, offensively, the Panthers have really, really struggled this season, really struggled. Uh, the 23-point the game against uh, against San Francisco seems like a year ago. Um, they struggled against the Bills. I mean, the Bills' defense isn't bad. 
they really struggled against the Saints defense. The Saints defense may be the only defense worse than the Patriots defense this season, uh, although the statistics would say the Patriots are bad too. But in any event, not a good defense that they struggled against last week uh, against, against New Orleans. Uh, Cam Newton is still the quarterback, and if you thought the Patriots had problems with a mobile quarterback last week and Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton is the prototype for mobile quarterbacks in the NFL right now. That being said, he's been hemmed in. He hasn't seemed to have the same explosiveness that he usually does, and the offense has just kind of sputtered. He's a 61% passer on the season. He has thrown four interceptions. The the rating is pretty low. It's below 70. Uh, He has been sacked a bunch. He's been sacked 10 times already this season. And he's been hit way more than that. The, the, the Carolina offensive line has really struggled in pass protection uh, and is likely going to be without their starting center, Ryan Khalil, for the game on Sunday. He didn't practice again yesterday. He's probably not going to play the game on Sunday, although you'll have to take a look at the injury report uh, when it comes out today for, for that. Uh, so they got problems on the offensive line. They've got some 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 depth at running back. Uh, the the, the starter, I guess you could say, is Jonathan Stewart. Uh, he's a veteran. He's been around a long time. He, he's a he's kind of a bruising runner. Uh, but the guy they go to more than anybody else in this offense is the rookie Christian McCaffrey from Stanford. Uh, McCaffrey has gotten a bunch of carries already. He is also the Panthers' leading pass catcher on the season. He's caught 18 balls out of the backfield. Uh, and he's touched it more than, I think, anybody else on the team, perhaps close to 50 touches already so they, they they're really trying to get McCaffrey going and why not he's a dynamic athlete uh, and a guy a, a, a guy that a lot of people thought the Patriots were going to be hot on uh, in in the draft although his his draft stock rose too fast the Patriots weren't going to be able to, to, to get him where he went so uh, he's the featured back the wide receiver core got a boost yesterday when Kelvin Benjamin returned to practice he looks ready to go on Sunday. That's a big change from Wednesday when he didn't practice at all. And uh, the fear was, I mean, he got hurt last week. And, and the initial thought was that he was actually he was going to have to miss at least this week, if not more. Well, he got back to practice yesterday. So it looks like he's going to play the game. So Newton will have his, his number one target. The other big wideout that they have is Devin Funchess. He's a, a second or third year guy out of Michigan. Similar to Benjamin in that he's 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 bigger and he's 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 pretty fast. He he gives them a little bit of a speed component out there. Uh, but the the Newton's favorite target was Greg Olson, the tight end from my the, the veteran tight end from Miami. Signed a big deal to go there a couple of years ago. Olson is out indefinitely, perhaps for the entire season with a broken foot, and will not be playing the game on Sunday. The tight end that they're going to put in their place is nowhere near the caliber of Olson. So, you know, he, he will not have a, a big tight end target to throw to, or at least a favorite tight end target to throw to. So, like I said, it, it's an offense that has really struggled. I mean, you heard that last week. I mean, I gave you basically the same exact preview on, on the Houston Texans, and that didn't stop Deshaun Watson from just lighting this Patriots secondary up and, and the defense from, from getting lit up again. It, it is statistically the worst defense in the NFL the Patriots have at this point. It is early. There is time to turn it around. Um, it would be a nice. It's it's a nice time to turn it around. Hint hint. Because this is an offense that really hasn't gotten it together yet. And 
generally, and I say generally, is not a threat to score a bunch of points. Um, I, I don't know, like I said, I, I would have said the exact same thing and did say the exact same thing about the Texans last week. I never in a million years would have expected Houston to score 33 and very nearly beat the Patriots, who needed 36 on a last-minute comeback to win the game. But uh, that is the truth. I mean, this this is a deep, this is an offense that has really struggled. They've struggled to move the ball. They've really struggled to protect Newton. He's missing his favorite target in Greg Olson. It's not an offense that really should scare you right now. Newton hasn't been great. He's been pressured. He's thrown some picks. It's not an offense that scares anybody right now. If you think historically about Carolina's offense and, and when it has success, and they were in the Super Bowl, if you remember, two years ago. They lost to the Peyton Manning-led Broncos, who had just beaten the Patriots in the AFC Championship. If you think about the way they were successful that season, they had a lot of success running the ball, both with Newton and without him, and that set up a lot of opportunities in play action and in rollouts and in just designed easy routes for Newton to hit. And Newton hit, <clears throat> like I said, he had Greg Olson at that point. He didn't have a ton of weapons in the wide receiving core, uh, but he had enough where they could, they did have Steve Smith, I think, that season, if I remember right, but uh, he, he was kind of on a swan song. He could still run, but he had a few weapons in there. But the way Carolina is successful, I mean, they're not a run-and-shoot team or a, kind of a, a sling-it-all-over-the-place type of team like the Patriots can transform themselves into or the Saints can transform themselves into, or the Packers, or anybody with a, a big-arm quarterback, Detroit, anything like that. that. That's not who the Panthers are, and it's not who they're trying to be. When, when they're successful, historically at least, on offense, they're a run-first team. And this is a game where the Patriots, like I said, if they can limit the run like, they, you know, like, like they've done in the past, they haven't really done that this year, but... If they can limit the run, it really puts Newton in a tough spot because he's not the type of quarterback, at least in, in, in past years, he's not the type of quarterback that's going to win a game with his arm. I, I haven't, I, I can't really remember too many Carolina Panthers games. I'm sure it's happened, but I, I can't remember too many Carolina Panthers games where they've just outslung the other team, where, where Newton, and that's not taking anything away from Cam Newton. He's had a good career. Uh, he, he's a good, he's a capable quarterback, um, but and he's he's obviously much better than some of the slop the league has 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 thrown at the quarterback position so far. But but he's not that kind of a guy. He, he's he's not the kind of guy who can literally just take an offense on its back, put him in different routes, set up the set up the route combinations the way he wants, call plays from the line of scrimmage, and and, and make snap decisions like that. I mean he he's. They're, they're a run-first team. They've always kind of been that way. That sets Newton up later to do some do some damage with his arm, and it's a good arm, again, don't get me wrong, but if the Patriots can, can get a few stops on defense and, and stop the running game, I think they'll have a lot of success here because, again, and I, I feel like a broken record, but if they can do that, the Panthers don't have the type of offense that can really get the Patriots, give give the Patriots any kind of competition, especially in Foxborough, and, and the way the Patriots have been scoring points lately. So I think that's the key. Take away the run. Make Newton beat you with his arm, especially early. 
take away the run early, limit the big plays, limit the gashing holes, then the Panthers' offense becomes decidedly one-dimensional. Now, I'm not buying the the narrative that you've got to keep Newton in the pocket because the Patriots basically kept Deshaun Watson in the pocket last week, and he killed him. He absolutely killed him. I mean, the game plan was very clearly keep him in the pocket, keep him in the pocket, make him a pocket passer, make him a pocket passer. Um, the problem with that narrative right now is this Patriots secondary isn't good enough. It's not good enough. They haven't covered anyone. And it's, if, if you keep a, pot, a, a quarterback in the pocket, I mean, that's great and everything. He can't scramble around and make plays with his legs and keep, you know, keep plays alive, so on and so forth. But as long as you're not getting to him and he's got a clean pocket to throw from, right now, that guy's going to have success against the Patriots secondary because the Patriots secondary has been awful. So, you know, yes, is it better if they keep Newton in the pocket this weekend? It is. But either one of two things has to happen. They not only have to keep him in the pocket, they have to get to him and sack him a bunch of times, and that's possible against this offensive line. Again, it hasn't been good. But they either that or the secondary's got to play a lot better. they got to cover a lot, a lot better. The nice thing, like I said, I mean, as, as depleted or as, as pedestrian an offense as, as the Texans were last week, I think the Panthers may have a worse one or, or, or a less dynamic one. I mean, they, they don't have a wide receiver the capa capability of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, they're not going to have the main piece of the offense in uh, in Greg Olson. They will. The Patriots will have to account for Christian McCaffrey because he's going to do a lot for them. He's going to. They're going to split him out as a wide receiver and as a running back. He's going to get some touches, so they're going to have to account for him. But. Uh, it is, like I said, it is an offense that if the Patriots secondary comes to play and the defense comes to play, it is an offense that should not pose much of an issue on the defensive side of the ball. They've really, really struggled this season. So that is it from a, a, a defensive perspective, how to guard the, 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 the Panthers' offense. If you switch the ball around, switch it to the other side, the Panthers' defense is not a bad unit. It is not the caliber of the Texans, who I think is a very good defensive unit. Uh, and the Patriots did not have a ton of problems, especially early scoring points on the on the Texans. Although it really sputtered for a while in the second half before you know Brady engineered the magical drive to win the game. The Panthers have a good. They have a pretty good defensive line. Kawan Short is the guy that you got to pay attention to. He's he's big. He can move. He can rush the passer. He can stop the he can stop the run. Very athletic guy. Uh, he's the big guy you got to worry about. Star Latulale is was a first round pick of theirs a couple of years ago. There was cons some concern out of that locker room that he was not going to play in this game. Uh, it does now appear that he's going to. He went back to practice yesterday. Another big defensive tackle, stout against the run, especially. Julian, it's Julian. Julius Peppers returns to where it all started for him in a really good career. This could be his swan song, but he goes back to Carolina. He's more of a situational pass rusher now. He's been a good pass rusher for his entire career. Uh, more of a situational guy for Carolina now, but still a guy who can get after the passer and who's had some success. If you'll remember, this is the team that gave the Patriots Coney Ely in training camp 
in the preseason. And uh, Coney Ely, obviously, he didn't make the team. Belichick cut him at the last at, at the last uh, last cut. Uh, well, perhaps the Panthers knew something about that. He, this is Ely had some success for the Panthers in the past, um, but uh, maybe they knew something about it, and they they, they knew that they, that they that they did you know excuse me that they didn't need him. The linebacking core is headed by one of the best middle linebackers and linebackers in the NFL, if not the best, in Luke Keekley. Um, goes sideline to sideline, fast, can tackle, has been a terrific middle linebacker for, for the for the Panthers for a few years back now. He's the guy that dragged down Kronk four years ago in that phantom pass interference call that was called back ridiculously and admitted this week that he might have got away with one. But he is the leader of the defense and the guy that they're going to turn to. Uh, his fellow linebacker, Thomas Davis, may not play in this game. Another, uh, their, their leading tackler right now and a great veteran. He may not play in it. He has not practiced for a couple days. Their secondary has had some problems. Um, there have been some coverage issues back there. Obviously, against uh, the, the Saints, they were picked apart. Couldn't get to Breeze, and Breeze just killed them on the road. Uh, Daryl Worley is a defensive back who has mispracticed the past couple of days. They may be thin at corner because of that. Captain, Munner, Captain Munnerlin plays the other corner for Carolina. Uh, a veteran corner, probably the best defensive back. But it, it's a team that likes to play in the base defense. Uh, send four guys after the passer and uh, drop everybody else into coverage. That's usually a recipe for just disaster against a guy like Tom Brady who can pick apart his own defense and pick apart coverage generally. Uh, I think there's going to be a big matchup advantage for Rob Gronkowski in this game. Uh, I mean, as good as Luke Keekley is, he can't stay with Gronk. They're probably going to have to put two guys on him, uh, maybe a nickel corner or a linebacker with safety help over the top. If they do that, that opens up other opportunities for Brandon Cooks and Chris Hogan and Danny Amendola, uh, and certainly with, with the running backs coming out of the backfield uh, for, for pass-catching opportunities there. So it, it's a defense that is fairly stout, but the way Brady and the offense have been able to go so far this season and were able to get past a, a tough Texans defense last week, it, it's a defense that I think the Patriots can have success against. So let's do a prediction, and it's it's become awfully hard to figure out the Patriots, uh, figure out what what they're going to do. It's it's you know how how are you going to pick them against the spread? It's become tough to do that, but uh, I do like the Patriots to win the game this weekend. I think it is tough to pick them by more than nine, but I'll do it anyway. I, I don't think Carolina's offense is at the point right now where. They're a real threat to score a ton. I realize I said the exact same thing about the Texans last week, but I, I think with a week of studying this tape and figuring out where the communication problems lie in the secondary uh, and, and where they can do better in coverage, I think the Patriots staff and, and, and defenders will do a better job game planning for Cam Newton and company. Um, I think they will get rid of those issues. At least I'm knocking on wood, hoping that they will. I will take the Patriots to win 27 to 17. So right about that number, about that 10 point, a 10 point win seems about right. I would not be surprised if it's closer than that. Um, again, just just given the way the Patriots defense has really struggled this season, 
Um, but I don't think the Panthers are the type of offense that's going to come in here and light the world on fire. So give me the Patriots. I'll take them 27-17. to 17. Uh, I, I, I haven't been good, I guess. Don't trust my predictions against the spread. I'm 1-2 against the spread this season. 2-1-1, uh, one, one, I suppose, about I get, taking the Patriots outright. But... Uh, so don't don't you know don't take my prediction to Vegas and use it. But I'll, I'll take the Patriots. I'll lay the nine nervously. I probably wouldn't play this game if I had to. But I'll, if I had to do it, I'll take the Patriots. I'll lay the nine. So that is our show for this weekend. Uh, my thanks to all my listeners, and uh, we'll be back on Monday with what should be a very busy show. We'll break down the Patriots against the Panthers. We will have finally some clarity on where the Red Sox will be going in the playoffs because the season will finally be over. Hopefully they will be the division champ by then uh, with a magic number of one that seems likely. Uh, we also have the Bruins to talk about next week. I know I didn't really get to much Bruins stuff today, although they, you know, it wasn't much to show for a 5-1 to loss last night in the preseason. But the Bruins begin play next week too, so we'll do some Bruins stuff once we have a, figure, once we have a roster figured out. we got a lot to talk about next week, so next week's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be the first week in October. Until then, enjoy what should be a great weekend in New England and the Northeast. Hope you're spending it with some family and friends who you love. And until Monday, it's Mike Lyon. Have a great weekend, everyone.